I'm Krista Tippett. You're listening to my unedited conversation with Doris Taylor. She's director of the Center for Cardiovascular Repair at the University of Minnesota. I spoke with her on July 7, 2009, in the studios of American Public Media in St. Paul, Minnesota. This interview is included in our program, Stem Cells Untold Stories. Download the MP3 of the produced show at speakingoffaith.org. How did you... Uh how long have you been in Minnesota? Five years. Oh, been so you five years. And where were you before that? Duke University oh, okay. Medical Center. Yeah. So North Carolina. Yeah, I just want. Um, I just want this to. I want to be able to see this a little bit better. Do you want me? Over? How's that, Andy? Yeah, I think that's. I haven't gotten used to all these cameras. I try to ignore them. <laughs> I'm in radio. It's about the spoken word. Yeah. So so what's this filter? That just uh, is a pop filter really for peas when you say perhaps. You know, the big perhaps. So I don't spit right at the camera. I'm really bad no, at it. It's just for audio. Okay. Um, I'm just going to adjust this to you. So. This is the science of sound and audio. Yeah. Because Chris doesn't understand it, it becomes a science. <laughs> <laughs> it must be science. <laughs> I secretly wish I'd been a scientist. You know, I'm. I'm uh, you still could. Have we got a deal for you? I'm trying to get my son to pursue it. I think he's my best shot at my gene pool being. How old is he? Yeah, he says he's going to be a professional football player. He's 11. Of course he does. He's 11. He has some time. Um, I've actually got a book coming out near early next year of my interviews with scientists, which are really my favorite interviews. Oh, cool. So, yeah. That's in my shot. You're in the great field. How about there? Krista, do you want some water nearby? Um, you know, I'm all right. Are you sure? Yeah. What I would like is a pencil. Okay. I see one up there. Nancy, there's one behind you in that cup. Oh, yeah. Thank you. And can I hand this to someone so I play with it the whole time? I know myself. <laughs> is that, uh, that's not a problem, is it, Trent, there? No. The beautiful garbage can. Do you want some Should? water nearby to you, oh, too? Crap, I'm closed. good with my coffee, I think. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Are, you yes, have everything ma'am. you need? Okay. Thank you. All right. The yes. I just wanna, On. Yes. You can hear her okay? Right at the moment? No. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. You can hear me. All right. Good. That sounds good. We we don't usually do interviews in person. Okay. So um I don't Here know. We go. I don't know if it would be any more efficient if we did it more often, but it's it's not our usual routine. I usually have people just in my right coming into my head. <laughs> I did. I did. A, oh, you've done something this. recently downtown where I was talking to Reuters, and mm-hmm. I could hear the reverb, and oh. so I couldn't pay attention to what they were saying. Yeah, that's terrible. It's maddening. You can't. What, did they get rid of it? The person in the studio kept turning it down for me. Right. Yeah, that's bad. Well, I'm going to try not to just stare at the filter. If I, I know, if I, I do, let me know. Kinda, you can see me, right? But I can if I lead is, like this. I think, if I lean I like think this, we need to move. 
forth over a little bit because I'm basically Are seeing you her. Okay? Can you see? I can see, and you can I see. I basically my... can if I do this. Yeah, and I'm bas- I'm looking at the filter. Did you get to a Sundance this weekend? I didn't. You didn't. Multiple reasons. Okay. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a longer story. Weekend. Yeah. Uh, we didn't oh, that's orders yesterday. of magnitude better if that works. Otherwise, my neck would be. Yeah. Fabulous. Okay. Good. Great. Perfect. Now, if my hair is out of control, please tell me now. <laughs> yeah, that's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know. My hair is always out of control, well, so they don't. I understand. <laughs> so, you, do you have any questions for me before we start? I. I I'm, you know, well, I have to say I have a little trepidation. Why? <laughs> um, just because spirituality and is such a personal issue mm-hmm. that, you know, I can talk about my science and it's not quite as personal. Yeah. And so this will be interesting because well, it's the mi- mix of the two. Right. Which obviously is very. So. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll get to the. I, I think part it's it, it's it's a hard thing to talk about for anyone, and and I think one one way one reason um, sometimes public discussion of this is squishy is because we ask people to talk about it. But I I kind of I mean I'll we'll get to that through your science, and then it will have some legs. <laughs> Fabulous. And I think that's true for most of us as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not the it's not an abstraction. Right. Yeah. Um. Okay, Mitch. So you just tell me when we're when we're ready to go. Why don't you just tell me something mundane like what you had for breakfast? Uh, yogurt. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> uh, I looked at the golden grams that the kids had in the freeze. No, uh, <laughs> yogurt mm-hmm. in the car on the way over. Oh. So I don't have yogurt all down my dress. That's <laughs> okay. good job. That's a step. Are you getting ready to go out of town? Did I hear that? Yes. Okay. Is it vacation? Yes. Or? No, I'm heading to New York to give a talk tomorrow, and then I'll get to see friends who I haven't seen in a couple of years, mm-hmm. who are the friends I've had the longest in the world, mm-hmm. so that'll be fun. Right. Do you travel a lot? I do. Speaking? Yeah. or mm-hmm. Speaking, mostly speaking. I'm about at the point that if I'm not speaking, I don't go to the conference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you have to travel to raise money, or do other people do that for you? I wish somebody else did that for yeah, me. We have the same. Um, I that's harder, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it's all it's always you believe in what you do, and you wish people just got it yeah. that what we do is important. Yeah. yeah, but you have to represent it again and again. Okay. Yes, gotcha. Okay. Um. Can you hear him? You can't hear him, can you? Okay, you're coming in here. All right. Um, all right, this is where I start with everybody, whatever, whoever they are, whether they're religious or not, or however. Just, I'd like to hear something about their religious background. Was there a religious or spiritual background to your life, to your childhood that you grew up Remember with? Remember that trepidation? <laughs> I know, but you just have to tell me an old um, story here. I, I didn't really <laughs> grow up in a, in a religious background. Uh, my mom actually... My mom was a single parent, 
because my dad died when I was six. So she took us to a church near our house for a little while and then said, if you want to go, you can go. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she she pretty much said that it was very interesting. I learned about integrity way before I learned about religion Mm. because my mom said – uh, this is a great place for you to go get so you know interact with people socially and if you like it great um but i've seen the way some of these people treat your brother who had some physical disabilities and i i can't go hmm. i think that's probably pretty unusual in mississippi as well doesn't it you were the bible belt um yeah on the other hand my mom always made made room for whatever it was we needed or wanted. She introduced us to a number of different churches. And actually, at the end of her life, she went to church every week. And it was, I truly saw when she passed away, she moved out into the country and went to a very small church. And I truly saw the epitome of what I came to believe, what I what I believe is Christian behavior this was a group of people who the last two years of her life checked on her every day, made sure she had food. We were th- hundreds of miles away. They took care of her. They were her family. And when we were there, when the last couple days of her life, when she got sick really quickly, they took care of us. Mm. It was the epitome of everything I believe to be true. You have said um, in another interview you can't grow up in Mississippi in the time frame that I did and not want to change the world. Right. And the question I wanted to ask you is, you know, what you meant by that, but also how that, how and when that translated itself, that desire to, that longing to change the world translated itself into the realm of science and medicine. Sure. Well, I just said my mom was a single parent. My dad died when I was six. You can't be a daddy's girl and have your dad die when you're six and not have that impact you. And that was a huge impact in my life. So I literally never wanted anyone else to feel what I felt, that loss that I felt. And then at the same time, my brother had some physical issues and people kind of made fun of him. And because I saw how people made fun of him, I think I was more open to seeing how people made fun of other differences. Hmm. And and then you just said yourself, I think that was kind of unusual growing up in Mississippi. Well, my mom was pretty unusual. She pointed out think how to think about things. And I was a little I was a little kid. I was outside playing hopscotch on the sidewalk and my mom came out and said they just passed a law in this land and I never want to hear you or any of your friends say anything about somebody that will make them feel bad about who they are. Hmm. And I didn't know what she was talking about at that point, but, you know, now obviously it was a civil rights bill. Um, And she really taught us people were people. At the same time, I knew... There was a, a lady who took care of us when because my mom did work after school who is still to this day a piece of our family, and her family was a piece of our family, but she didn't get to go to school. And I saw 
differences, and it really just made me want to. I didn't. It didn't make sense to me. Hmm. I remember asking someone else who took care of us when we were first um, when we first moved to Mississippi. I was six. I, she she was an older black lady, and I said, "Somebody says your blood is different than my blood. How does that work?" And we talked about that, and it never made sense to me. It just didn't. And so I guess early on I just got it that we're all in this together or we're not. <laughs> right. And did you go? Did you study? Did you know you so were heading towards medicine? I knew I wanted to be – I thought I wanted to be a doctor. Um, really thought I just wanted to treat people. And help make them better. And when I was in college, I had a professor who said, why don't you consider being a scientist? And at the time, I was like, no way. Boring. <laughs> Lab every day. <laughs> test tubes. Uh-uh. Not, not for me. But then I also realized I'm much more of a feeler than I am a thinker in some ways, and which is great in science because you go with your gut. Hmm. But I also realized that emotionally, having been through what I had been through as a little kid, that it was going to be hard for me to take care of people every day and not get way too emotionally invested. Oh, keep those boundaries. So science started making a lot more sense. And then I got entered in a science contest when I was in high school. My high school biology teacher said, there's this contest you should enter. And I did. And I got to I, – I won at the state level, and I got to go to New York. And somehow it just all came together. Did you um, – so what was your training in, actually? Did you get a medical degree? No? I went to – uh, <laughs> I went to college in Mississippi. I left Mississippi, Mississippi and took a job for a couple of years to figure out what I wanted to do um, and ended up in Dallas because I was working for EDS, believe it or not. EDS? Ross Perot's company. Oh, okay. Ended up in <laughs> right. Dallas right. and got started working in a lab because I needed a new job. Started working in a lab and it's funny how things happen, but I was working in a pharmacology lab, and there were all these huge, long words that I loved. <laughs> <laughs> and so I wanted to, I wanted to study that, too, because I love the words. Hmm. You know, sympathomimetic. How can you not try to figure out what that means, you know? I just remember that at the time. So... Um, I ended up in graduate school, completely unanticipated, got a Ph.D. at UT Southwestern, at, where we had to also take all the medical school courses. So we took the first two years of all the medical school courses, but I got a Ph.D. Then I went to New York, then I went to Duke, and then I came mm -hmm. here. So, And at some point along the way, did you specialize in the heart? I wanted to specialize actually in mind, brain, neuro stuff. And the department I was in at the time in graduate school said, 
that field isn't advanced enough for you to really do that. So I started studying muscle. And I started studying the interactions between nerve and muscle because it was about as close as I could get. Went to New York to learn, quote, molecular biology. And the lab I went to was run by a woman who was looking at the differences between the muscle in your leg and your heart. And that's how I got into heart. Hmm. We what we were looking at the whole uh, – all the genes – that exist and and get turned on and muscle in your arm and your leg and in your heart and realized that your heart's just ultimate the ultimate muscle and mm-hmm. then when we started talking about what happens after a heart attack and the fact that your heart can't repair itself it in a what natural way made sense to start thinking about cells from your skeletal muscle to do that and that's how my career really happened. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about your great discovery, uh, your recent discovery or your accomplishment. Um, and then kind of, so let's talk about what that was and what happened and then and then talk about what it means in some different ways and also sure. just so, a lot of what you know about stem cells. And, sure. But, but I do want to, um, you know, you, you were one of the 100 most influential people in Time magazine. This is a this is a great discovery or scientific accomplishment of our time. Um, it, it's interesting to me because I I've noticed that um, in shorthand when people talk about it, they'll sometimes say that you made a heart. Right. But what I saw as I as I really dug into you and what you said about your work and really understanding it, it's very interesting. One of the things that I'm I've been fascinated in in my conversations with scientists in general is how scientists have such a regard for beauty. Right. And say physicists find mathematical equations beautiful. And I was really struck in your uh, descriptions of what you did by how you found the heart, the architecture of the heart, beautiful. Right. And so, in fact, you didn't make a heart. You worked with that structure. Right. Right. So talk about what you did that was new. You know... The heart is a beautiful organ. It's a complex, beautiful organ. And I spent, I mentioned I was at Duke. When I was at Duke, we started trying to, quote, regenerate heart. Mm -hmm. And we started that using cells and realized pretty quickly that cells were probably not going to be enough for people who already have heart failure, end-stage heart failure, that you really need a heart. And trying to build a heart sure seem complicated to me. And there's a fellow in my lab, his name was Harold, and Harold and I were talking about how it'd be really cool if we could figure out a way to take cells out and put cells back in. Well, what we did is we realized, what do you need to build an organ? You need three things. You need cells, but cells alone don't make an organ. They just hang out in a dish and beat. And you need a place to put those cells that give them a context. And then you need a way to feed those cells. Well, nature's already created that. Nature's created a heart. And the simplicity of what we did really is take a heart from a cadaver and literally use soap. Pretty simple. Same soap that's in shampoo, actually. (laughs) Right. 
and wash the cells for using the blood supply to that organ, literally drip soap through it. So wash out all the dead so cells. So you wash out all the cells from the cadaver organ, and what's left is literally the framework. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it actually looks a lot like jello. The heart devoid of cells looks like jello. I should have brought one. Uh, I didn't. It's actually beautiful, and yet it looks like a heart. It's got the shape of a heart, the architecture of a heart. You can see where the blood vessels would be. It's pretty remarkable. And at a very simplistic level, it's a go- we call it a ghost heart. It's a hmm. skeleton of a heart. Then you can add cells back, and that's what we did. So really, we didn't build a heart. And in truth, we just did a very crude version of what nature does. We took that scaffold, added cells back, and... They they did what they know how to do, which is beat and pump. They were stem cells, right? So we t- we've done it with a couple different kinds of cells. Okay. The first time we did it, we did it with newborn uh, animal cells because those are the most robust. And that worked well. More recently, we've done it with and, – and the newborn heart contains stem cells too. Okay. More recently, we've done it with – Stem cells from adult heart and stem cells from, uh, well, some human stem cells. Mm-hmm. And um, now I know that this is true of every of every scientific discovery that that the the breakthrough is the is the culmination of <clears throat> of lots of years of work and trial and error and failure. But but what you did finally you did finally have this experience that you. Had cleaned the heart, you injected it, and then eight days later, what? I mean, tell me what was. You know, I've had two wow moments in my life. The first one was when we transplanted cells in the heart for the first time, and we we looked at one of those hearts. We looked at a section from one of those hearts, and there was a big island of new cells in the heart, and it was like, wow, yes. Well, the second. Yes, moment in my life is Harold and Thomas were in the lab late at night and they called me, Doris, it's beating. I was in my office and they were like, Doris, it's beating. I was like, you just sort of sit there for a minute and you kind of, you know, I was like, show me. (laughs) And that moment when you see that, I mean, literally, it was one of those, oh my, uh, oh my God. Because everything, you know, there's, it really wasn't that complicated. And on the other hand, there were so many things that could have gone wrong. Mm-hmm. There's so many steps along the way. And wow. And wow. Because, because what that means is it's possible. And what somebody said recently, and it makes a lot of sense, is we just – we did it first – but now a lot of people are going to do this. Mm-hmm. And we hope we've opened a door to a new field of building tissues and organs for people who need them. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> and what is so amazing is you have taken something that was dead and essentially given it the capacity to bring itself back to life in a way, right? It, it's, it's really um, – it's basically using nature's tools. 
I I was privileged last week to meet uh, a young man, uh, a man who has heart failure, and we were taught. We were showing him. This was actually for an interview. We were showing him what we do because he's young enough that it's possible in his lifetime we could make this hmm. real for him. It was pretty. It it put a new face on what we're doing. I mean, I can't tell you how many parents have called me and how many teenagers have called me and said my grandmother, my, and it really changes the way you do what you do because there's a name on the experiment every day, you know. And talking with this man who has four kids and has family members who are sick, he said, you're not building hearts, you're building hope. How much better does it get than that? <laughs> really? Hmm. It it doesn't get any better than, I mean, it's pretty humbling and it's pretty, but it's true. I remember when we did our first cell experiments and, and that hit the press. I had a, a young man call me and say, my mom has hope for the first time in years. And I said, you know, that hope's probably what will keep her around until we get this figured out. Hmm. And I I pretty much said the same thing to him. You know, keep that hope is what you need to keep going. So... Um, the co- the cultural context of this science and mm-hmm. this hope is controversial, right? This right. has happened. You are in the thick of, um, you have been in the thick of this whole realm uh, that gets uh, that that uh, has had the spotlight shined on it in terms of the debate over em- embryonic stem cells, sure, and the whole moral thicket around that. Um. I um, heard you say, uh, also in another interview, that if we had framed that debate differently, <laughs> if the ter- if things had been maybe given different names, if it mm-hmm. had been explained differently, mm-hmm. that debate might not have happened. So, I thought I would give you an opportunity here. I wanted to. I wonder if you would. Um, Tell me how, if you could rewind the discussion Mm -hmm. and you could introduce this notion of the work you do and the field you're in and the whole idea of stem cells, um, how would you start? How would you explain what this is, what it means? You know, stem cells are really very simple. They're cells that can do two things. They can make more of themselves or self-renew, and they can, quote, differentiate become a lot of different things, differentiate. And really, we have stem cells everywhere in our body. I've said before, and you may have heard me say, I believe aging is a failure of stem cells, Uh that every organ or tissue in our body, for the most part, has stem cells in it. So there's nothing to be afraid of. So, yes, right. But I think the fear... Is that uh, well? I mean, let's be frank. The con- the 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 word that's used is embryonic stem cell. Right. Excuse me, embryonic stem cells. And the concept is that we're taking fetuses and using those to create cells for medicine. 
that is just not true. Fetal stem cells are too old to be used for what we do. And if we were, those would be called fetal stem cells. What we're really using are fertilized eggs. And you're using fertilized eggs that that have been donated to research from in vitro fertilization. Right, clinics. right. And that's a whole different situation. If you think about it, what's the alternative with those fertilized eggs? They're going to be stored until they're no longer needed. And when they're no longer needed, what happens to them? We don't talk about that. My understanding is they go in the trash. Mm -hmm. They're destroyed. Mm -hmm. I personally can tell you, I had a, um, my personal ethical and moral belief is the universe gives us tools to use. And we're taught things that we need to learn along the way. And I can't turn my back on this wonderful opportunity to learn how nature builds things. Embryonic stem cells, quote unquote, have the potential to become almost any tissue. What that means is that I can take these cells from a fertilized egg. What do they do? Like every other cell, they divide. So once they make about eight cells or 10 cells, we can begin to take those cells and watch them as they mature into something that looks like a piece of heart or looks like a piece of muscle or looks like a piece of skin. Now, I think that's an incredible learning opportunity. In addition, what we don't talk about is there are a number of fertilized eggs from in vitro fertilization that we know have genetic diseases. Those are never going to be implanted. Mm-hmm. And isn't it, wouldn't it be fabulous if we could understand how the man I was talking with the other day developed heart failure? Because we could study cells from a fertilized egg where that same genetic difference occurred and he and those we knew those cells were going to grow up and have heart failure. Let me ask you this. <clears throat> I think you're right that um, that at least the impression that has been given, whether this was intentional or not or spelled out or not, was that um, the embryos in embryonic stem cell research Come from can't, had something to do with abortion or right. could have something to do with abortion. And, and I know that you've, you have spent time over these last years in conversation with, with religious people who, who have uh, this kind of uh, moral perspective on this issue. Right. I wonder, did they make a distinction morally between the use of um, aborted no. fetuses and fetuses that, have, that are going to be discarded anyway because of through through in vitro fertilization clinics. You know, I can tell you that um, the general perception on the street, when I've talked to people at churches, when I've gone to give stem cell talks at churches, is, wow, I thought people had abortions and you use those cells. Simply not true. Now, um, it's just simply not true. And you're also saying 
that even that and, that those cells would be too old for the. the that's it's right. It's not just about the law prohibiting people right. from doing it. It wouldn't. So, work. I, I would also argue that well, we now are beginning to know that. Um, let me let me back up. Fe- uh, embryonic stem cells come from fertilized eggs. Period. And to my knowledge, those cells have not ever been derived from aborted fetuses. The science is such that those just wouldn't be embryonic stem cells. Those would be fetal stem cells. They're too old. Okay. The fear, I think people's misperception, you know, the reaction is about fear and misperception. And my experience has been when you tell people what's really happening and you tell people what's really going on and you talk to someone whose kid or brother or sister or mother or father has a disease, they start realizing that we're just talking about another tool that we've all been given to use. Here's something that I didn't really understand until I started looking into your work. And and this is where I think understandably fear comes from. It seems to me that the discovery of stem cells um, is one of those discoveries almost like DNA that forces us to think differently about what we're made of and how our bodies work. It's so new, right? I mean, this is something I didn't understand that... Um, that it's new knowledge that we all have a billion stem cells right. in our bodies as adults. Right. Um, Think, uh, that we didn't know that we had these things in our tissues and that's organs. That's right. Think about it, though. When you're, for most of our lives, our bodies repair themselves. Right. Okay. So I want to talk about this. But again, and I just want to pause to say the whole discussion has been around embryonic stem cells right. that differentiate. But this field is also about something that's going on in the our two bodies. of us here at that's our mature right. ages. <laughs> that's right. Right. You know, I have a, I have a, an email address that's called Stem Cells R Us because it's really about the fact that stem cells are per- really pretty simple. As I said, they exist all the time. Until we get old enough that they don't anymore. And I can tell you that for most of us, as we age, we wish we had more of them, not fewer. So are stem cells involved in the fact that, uh, say, when my 11-year-old son bangs his head at least once a week or scratches his knees to pieces, they, they get better? You don't have a he doesn't have a scar forever, does right, he? Right. And that's because our organs and tissues have stem cells that can repair them. I call that endogenous repair, internal repair. Mm-hmm. And that's what I meant when I said aging is really a failure of stem cells. For most of our lives, we have stem cells in all of our organs or tissues that can heal them. Mm-hmm. And they do so by taking care of that normal wear and tear. But as you get to be 52, 62, 72, and you fall down and you scrape your knee, you may have a scar for the rest of your mm-hmm. life. Because as we age, the number of stem cells we have goes down, and the function of the ones that we have decreases. What that means is we don't have as many, and they're not as potent. Okay. Which is why the whole notion of 
a stem cell from umbilical cord is so potent because those are brand new, Uh young stem cells Uh that can do a lot of things. And in many ways, and it and it gives even more credence to the notion of a fertilized egg stem cell because we know those can give rise to any organ or tissue. Okay. But there, there, there's a real correlation in your work to stem cells as a normal part of health. They are all, across the lifespan. They are. They they, you know, the whole notion of quote cell therapy which is being used what what was the first cell therapy that was ever used it happened here in minnesota in the 60s it was bone marrow transplant hmm. and the cells that we used to use, we used to think we would harvest bone marrow right and when somebody had cancer we would wipe out their bone marrow and give them new bone marrow and we used to think we were just giving them the cells that were going to make new blood and new um, new blood, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What we now know is that the bone marrow is full of stem cells. Okay. So essentially, those same cells that we used to call bone marrow cells, we now call bone marrow stem cells or bone marrow progenitor cells. And it just means that the science is caught up and our knowledge has caught up with what nature's been doing all along, Mm -hmm. which is making sure we had cells that could repair our organs and tissues. You've got billions of them in your bones right now. You've got billions of... Do you know that you can even derive stem cells from baby teeth? (laughs) From the inside of baby teeth? (laughs) There are stem cells being derived from virtually from I, I mean we could go down a whole laundry list urine hmm. blood bone skin skin is are <clears throat> stem cells why skin heals and it's, I mean it seems to me skin is constantly turning over all of our all of our organs and tissues turn over it's that whole average wear and tear mm-hmm. that we go through and then ultimately if we take enough hits for a long enough period of time we start running out of cells okay. and that's you know we talk about high risk behavior um it gives it a whole different meaning <laughs> when you think about the fact that you know, those cheeseburgers aren't just about um, cholesterol. They're about the wear and tear on the inside of our blood vessels really? over time. And we've actually got some data in the laboratory that shows we can begin to reverse atherosclerosis with stem cells. Right. There's this whole uh, this whole frontier of medicine. I That's understand. right. It's opening up. The term integrative medicine has become more sure. familiar. But you're working in what's being called regenerative medicine right. or reparative medicine, which is right. fascinating. Right. So you're also looking at learning things about how that decline with age can be mitigated or even reversed. I would say kids regenerate, we repair. Hmm. And there's a difference. Okay. And our goal is to so we think you have in in your blood at any given time. We're both women, so we've got the good end of this straw, but at any given time we have a certain number of stem cells in our blood. And as we mistreat our bodies, the number of stem cells that we have increases to try to keep pace with that, and ultimately it fails. And when it fails, that's when disease takes off. 
Well, we believe we can move you backwards on that continuum. And that was the whole basis of the first cell therapy. What happens when you have a heart attack? You have a blood vessel that gets clogged in your heart, and the cells downstream don't get oxygen, so they die, right? Mm. And in if your heart had enough time or enough stem cells, in theory, those cells could come in and repair that damage. Well, you don't have enough time because those cells die within a few hours. So we said, okay then let's take cells from somewhere, those same stem cells from somewhere else in your body and transplant them in your heart and give your heart a chance at rebuilding new blood vessels and new muscle. And that's, that, it's as simple as that. We're doing the same thing with liver. Liver is one of the most regenerative organs. Hmm. You, can, you, you can actually just take a lobe of liver and transplant that, and that's good enough because the liver can grow more cells and more lobes. So you Why don't even that? have to grow a whole liver. Right. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Stem cells. Hmm. So, you know, it's a word that scares people, but it's a word they're living with all day every day and they just don't know it. Finally, our knowledge is caught up with bio or is catching up with biology. We don't understand it all yet. Mm-hmm. We don't understand what makes them decrease. But we know we can begin to move people backwards. And can I tell you some cool stuff? You asked, you mentioned yeah. integrative medicine a minute yes, ago. Yes. We believe that things that decrease stress actually increase the number of stem cells that you have in your body and in your blood. And we know that men and women have different numbers and different kinds of stem cells. And so for the first time, we think we can begin to understand why it is that men develop heart disease earlier than women, Hmm. because they lose their stem cells faster. Hmm. So wouldn't it be fabulous if we could say, wait a minute, We we can move you backwards on that continuum of disease. And I think that's the future. The future is really using nature's tools to promote our body's ability to heal itself, whether we do that with traditional medical approaches, giving you cells, giving you molecules that increase the number of stem cells in a controlled way, or whether it's about teaching you tools that let your body do that, right? meditation, whatever. Yeah, and in that context, I know you've done, or at least you, um, I don't know if you've done work with, but you have some kind of partnership with the uh, Center for Spirituality and Healing at the University of Minnesota. Now, okay, so here's a paradox uh, that strikes me in your work when I read a description of your laboratory where you you have a number of hearts beating, right? (laughs) So there's something about this idea of disembodied hearts that then starts to make me worry about um, then how we define what we are. Absolutely. But then the the irony is that one of the things that you're discovering is that the ways we... So, so, yeah. So one of the things you're discovering is that um, one of the ways our whole organism has to to increase this capacity, this efficiency of stem cells, is or through these spirit what I call these spiritual technologies mm-hmm. like meditation. Mm-hmm. So in fact, you take the things apart and then see them, see how they fit together again. 
You know, it's interesting because um, when we were first doing this work in the lab, the guys in the lab would sleep in the lab to to check on these hearts every half hour or hour and a half. And um, when one of the folks who's in my lab now came into the lab and was learning this process, um, Thomas, who was in the lab before, said, you just got to love it enough to keep it going. And, about the hearts. And he was talking about the hearts right. that we were growing in a dish. <laughs> and, you know, we joke about that. But at the same time, I think part of what we're doing is learning about regenerating heart. We're learning about regenerating heart physically. We also know if somebody has – so cell therapy was about regenerating heart physically. You know, we know if somebody has a heart attack – and they go back into exactly the same environment and doing exactly the same things again. They're going to have another heart attack, right, down the road. It's right. almost a given. Right. We're about regenerating heart at a lot of different levels. And I think the first step is giving you something physically to work with. And then beyond that, as we learn more about transplanting these hearts and it, what makes what we're doing a little bit different, than what exists out there already is we would, inf- if we wanted to build you a heart, we would take a, a cadaver scaffold from a pig or from a human that couldn't otherwise be used as a transplant. But we would take your stem cells and we would use your cells to grow that heart. So it's really about putting your body's ability to heal you mm-hmm. back in place. And we think it's really a little bit different than transplanting somebody else's heart into you. And, and then the way I understand it is that you also see part of what you would want me to learn in terms of nurturing right. that repair forward. Right. Would also, there would also be a spiritual component to I that. Think, I mean, I personally have to believe that there's a spiritual component to all of this. What we think impacts who we are. We know that. We know that whether it's what we think makes us grumpy or what we think makes us happy or what we think. And we're learning that those um, those have a, an impact on our physical body. Stress ages your stem cells. Did, I, there's science out there from some, one of the, some of the best laboratories in the world showing that the way a cell knows how old it is is it has a little piece of DNA, chromosome, right? Mm-hmm. On the end of that chromosome is a little piece of DNA called a telomere. And every time your cell divides, that gets shorter. And when it reaches a certain point, it says, oops, I'm old, time to die. Well, stress makes that piece of DNA get shorter. So stress literally ages your stem cells. If you believe that's true, and it is, it also ought to be possible to reverse stress and Make your cells younger. And lengthen the telomere? Have, have they done that? Have you seen that? There are um, th- there's some experiments underway looking at that right now, but there are ways to lengthen telomeres. Hmm. I would also argue that, and, and I have absolutely no data to support this, but this is one of those gut things that I'll be looking about, at over the next few years, that cancer... Is in some way. So, what's cancer? 
cancer is basically cells gone bad. It's cells that no longer know when to stop dividing. What's a stem cell? A stem cell is a cell that can self-renew, make a lot of itself and keep dividing, and become a lot of different things. What's a tumor cell? It's a cell that can make a lot of different cells and become a lot of different things. Mm. In some ways, they're very similar, but a stem cell has the signals that know when to stop dividing. Tumor cells don't. I would argue that in some ways, cancer is nature's attempt to replenish that stem cell pool as we get older. That as we start running out of those cells, more and more cells have to divide to replenish that pool. And if something goes bad, then you get a tumor. Now, can I prove that yet? No. But I would, we know that some cancers are, ba- are come from stem cells. Hmm. We also know that metastases, the things that spread, are often stem cells. Hmm. Talk to me about the experiment you did with Mathieu Ricard, so, who is a I famous French philosopher, Buddhist, who's worked with the Dalai Lama. Right. And oh, and he's said I to be the happiest man alive, I think. <laughs> yes. Okay. He's written a book called Happiness. Right. right. I don't know that I have his permission to say this, but, you know, he's doing some studies with some people at the University of Wisconsin where he and a number of his colleagues meditate. And as they meditate, they measure differences in their brain waves, right? And I'm, I basically said... If you believe all the things we're talking about have an impact on your body, we ought to be able to measure them. And that I would predict that those very same things that when you meditate and you have positive brainwave changes would also have an effect on your stem cells. He very graciously, and this is an N of one, (laughs) (laughs) um, let us measure cells in his blood before and after meditation. And what we found was a huge increase in the number of positive stem cells in blood. Largest increase I've ever seen after 15 minutes of meditation. Now, he's been meditating many, many more. So so if you think about that they just... That they come out of your bone marrow and end up in your blood, which means they're available to your body Mm -hmm. for repair. And so that meditation... Uh, Literally, your body's own regenerative reparative It's all about endogenous repair. Hmm. And I don't think I said this earlier, but you know how when your son falls down, scrapes his knee, he's got a red spot? Yeah. That's inflammation. Inflammation, I think, is nature's cue to say, send me cells. Okay. (laughs) I've got an injury. Send me cells. And if you get the right cells there, you turn off that inflammation and you heal. If you don't get the right cells there and you don't heal, you get more inflammation. And I think your body's saying, hey, I said send me cells. We get with it and send me cells. And if you, if you don't get the right cells there, you ramp up inflammation and you start getting the negative consequences of inflammation. Well, we see that on our skin when we fall down and scrape our knee or when we cut our finger or something. But that's going on inside our body all the time. 
We have inflammation. Every time you eat a cheeseburger. Right? Every time you eat a cheeseburger. <laughs> yeah. We have inflammation going on inside our blood vessels, inside our organs, inside our tissues. And I think those are nature's cues to say, send me cells. Well, I would also say that meditation is essentially doing that without the inflammation. It's nature's way of sending those cells to the sites where you need them in a way to ramp, to, to turn down the, uh, the negative aspects of stress. Hmm. So stress, in my mind, is another word for inflammation. I would say inflammation is, is hmm. the physiologic consequence of stress. Which also has mental and it's also you, I, emotional, I, mental, I, spiritual, inflammation. Physical. We have all that too, right? Yeah, yoga is something I've become quite serious about in the last couple of years, and I have to say, I mean, that's an interesting way to describe what I have experienced. That I feel <laughs> that it does work on my mental and spiritual inflammation. Absolutely, and the physical too. I would yes, bet. yes, absolutely. But it's all. Through it's the all physical, connected. by way of the right. physical. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, it's the ultimate manifestation of all of those other components. I mean, what good is the is the mental or the or the spiritual without the physical at some level? Uh-huh. I mean, that's we are in a physical world. We are in physical bodies, uh-huh. and therefore, I would argue, I would submit that the the ultimate uh, expression of all those emotional, mental, and spiritual components are physical. And they're either good or they're not so good, and we have control over that. If you don't believe stress ages someone, look at a president before and after they've been in office for four years. Hmm. Is that gray hair? Is that also a, a sign of stress? You know? I mean, Barack Obama is already getting gray. Some people temples. say that it's a loss of certain nutrients and um i you know i think it's all related mm-hmm. there's no question mm-hmm. so let's talk a little you want to do, do we need to stop well that'd be perfect thank you okay you want to change shape yeah okay we can't say I'll anything drink coffee. yeah drink coffee this is great i want to yeah and this is, you know, we'll edit this later. Good. So if you, if there's something you want to come back to or say differently, you can. Yeah, you can, I, uh... I do, I do think, you know, I kind of balked at saying if, I think if women had been naming embryonic stem cells and we had just called them fertilized egg cells, it'd be a whole different conversation. Because <laughs> nobody cares about women's fertilized eggs. I see. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I don't have to say all of that, but. Okay. Okay. Mhm. Mhm. Right. Okay. Yeah, this is this is kind of a point of information. Um fetal you said that fetal stem cells are too old for much of what you're doing. Right. Um but that if you were building a heart for me, you would I'd take use your my, stem cells. my cells. Is it just that fetal stem cells are too old um, unless it's your own body? No. Fetal stem cells 
are not don't have the same capacity at fetal cells. the 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 typical belief is that that for um, em, that embryonic stem cells come from an aborted fetus, and then we just essentially take the cells from a fetus, and those are what we use. That's once a, uh, a fetal cells are already muscle, already mm-hmm. heart, already lung. They're not stem cells right. anymore. They've already developed into a given tissue, organ, whatever. Embryonic stem cells are cells that come from a fertilized egg before any of that differentiation already occurs. So that's an important distinction in the work you're doing where you need the cells to be malleable, to be able to adapt. But if it were my heart, it would be all right that they were my heart cells. So that's different than trying to build a tissue for you Mm -hmm. or build a tissue, period. We talk about... um, We talk about embryonic stem cells and the fact that they can become anything. Well, when we take cells from your heart, they can't become anything. Mm -hmm. They're not going to become toe cells. They're going to, they pretty much know that they need to become most of the things that, most of the kinds of tissues that make up heart, that, that scaffold those beating muscle cells, those blood vessel cells, those electrical cells, everything that you need for a heart. And that's the point that I was trying to make. Mm -hmm. Fetal cells, cells from a fetus, have already become heart or muscle or lung or kidney or liver or whatever. Those are no longer stem cells. It it seems to me, talking to you, that some of the distinctions that... um I don't know, the journalists or people who are trying to explain this to the public uh, uh, or, or those of us who've been interpreting it from whatever perspective, that some of those distinctions aren't, don't really even make sense. I mean, there's been a lot of excitement about the fact that maybe you can use adult stem cells. But I mean, what you're describing is a field in which we're finding out all kinds of things about how stem cells are important and they adult my adult stem cells can mean something to me that is very dramatic. Right. So so what's a stem cell? As we said, a cell is a stem cell is a cell that's way up here that can become a lot of different things, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then we we all use these words interchangeably, but we also talk about quote progenitor cells. Have you ever heard that term? Mm-mm, mm-mm. So we talk about stem or progenitor cells. And progenitor cells or stem cells are a little bit older. Well, because we don't want to confuse everything even more, the cells that come from your heart are probably really progenitor cells. They're a little bit older than the stem cells. So they can give rise to some things, but just a few. Not all of those things that a, quote, real stem cell can give rise to. And yet our body... You know, we don't just live a year or two or three, God willing. We we have long lives. That means our body has to have ways to repair itself. We're just learning that cells, for example, in our bones that we used to think just made blood now can make lots of different tissues or pieces of different tissues. They can go to your liver. And if you have 
a little bit of inflammation or damage in your liver, they get a signal that says, hey, come to the liver and make more liver. So this picture is just changing as we learn more. Absolutely. It's really interesting. So, you know, I want to ask you um, some of the so what questions or what what all this means or how you internalize it and make meaning of it. I mean, you, you have... You have given life to something that was dead, right? I mean, what? How does that make make you think differently about what it means right. to be alive? What it means I, to be human? I have to tell you that the most profound moment for me was when I, the first time I saw heart cells beating in a dish, just in a dish. Mm-hmm. You see these cells and they're beating, and you go, "Wow, what is life? What?" We get it that our cells grow, and I always knew they were alive. But once you see those cells beating in a dish, it's like, wow, what is alive? And I can't tell you I've fully wrapped my brain around that yet. Mm -hmm. I can also tell you that, you know, I probably have to just think about this very simply, which is, we're able to put together these tools that nature's created and they they in ways we'll never understand know how to become greater than the sum of the whole hmm. or the sum of the parts and if you think about it we're just really the hands that are you mean we the doctors the, we, the scientists the, yeah the, we're mm-hmm. just really the hands that we we still haven't created a cell i've i've said for 20 years that if we really wanted to understand a cell we should just take a big white wall draw a circle on it and everyone who walks by should write down what they know and at some point maybe we'd get to the point that we understand even what a cell is we don't really know how it works and the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful part is we don't have to. <laughs> okay. We're never going to understand all of it. And I, I talk about the fact that we have a mantra in my group that says, give nature the tools and get out of the way. We could spend the next 20, 30, 40 years trying to understand how this works, or we can watch it work. Hmm. And understand it well enough to make it safe and effective and maybe actually change somebody's life. And that's what we really want to do. We, we have a couple of questions that we ask ourselves. One, is it ready for prime time? Would you want to use it on your mom? Is that the test? Would you want to use it on your mom? Okay. If you wouldn't use it on your mom, we're not going to use it on somebody else's mom. And then... There's actually this great road sign from New Zealand, I believe, that somebody sent me from the Internet. And it's a roadside sign, and you're coming into a town, and it says, drive carefully. We have two cemeteries and no hospital. (laughs) And that's really how we have to approach this field. Hmm. Drive carefully. Drive carefully. And yet we've got to keep driving. Because it matters. There, it matters. And we can already do things that 10 years ago we thought were 
absolutely undoable. And I would argue that we're going to see a, a just a vast increase in the ability to repair tissues and organs. You know, when we first started in 1998, we published the first paper showing you could transplant cells in the heart in animals and actually repair the damage after a heart attack. And I remember talking to a reporter at the time, and he said, well, if it's so simple, why hasn't somebody else done it? (laughs) And I said, because I think nobody, I, I don't know, but I guess it's because nobody believed it really work. And I think that's, there's some truth in that. You just, sometimes if you don't know enough to know it won't work, you'll do it anyway. And I think that's where we are. We're just willing to give it a shot and believe that it's possible. And for the most part, nature wants to work. Where does all of this take your imagination? Um, You said early on that, um, how did you say this? You know, that you as a scientist, you you have to pursue this, that we're given these questions right. and discoveries. And, right. um, you know, I had a conversation just earlier this year with a novelist. Okay. Who had written a science fiction novel and created a world, created mm-hmm. a universe with languages and flora and right. fauna and species. Right. And... Um, and you've you've done your version of that in the laboratory. <laughs> and I asked her, how, so so if if as the Christian and Jewish and Muslim scriptures say we're created in the image of God, then mm-hmm. then then creative acts must, I I think, um, teach us something about the nature of God. Do you have thoughts like that in your laboratory? Well, you know, I want to tell you. Um, I I took a spiritual course a few years ago when I moved here, went back to North Carolina for a year to study with the teacher I have. And we had to teach something for two hours. And so I basically said, I'm going to teach people about stem cells, okay? So I talked about a lot of the things we've discussed. And then I drew a circle on a piece of paper. And I said... Think about a time in your life when you felt great. You know those moments when you just feel like all is right. You're in resonance. The world is a good place, right? And for all of us, that's different. For every one of us, that's different. And I said, okay, take that circle, and I want you to capture in that circle that feeling and just feel it and capture it, draw it, color it, whatever it is. And I said, now, that is the divine stem cell for your body. (laughs) That moment of resonance, that feeling, those are the cells that you can use to heal your body. And they're different for all of us Mm -hmm. because we are all different, and yet we're all the same. It's a cell. It's, but we all bring to it what we bring to it. And then I went further to say, I drew another circle on a piece of paper, and I said, I would say we are the stem cells that heal Mother Earth. So I would have you now draw exactly the same sort of resonance that for the Earth. And I, I truly believe that we're, that we're all part of the same whole body. 
And what I do... You have a particular perspective on that from the work you do. Mm -hmm. And that what I do um, impacts the body of knowledge. Think about it. We use those words, body of knowledge, body of literature, body of whatever. And we're all pieces of that body. And it's constantly changing and learning to heal itself or not heal itself. Mm. And, you know, I would love to be someone who helped make a positive difference in that body because I think we can. What's your dream for what you now know you can do? What's your dream of how that would develop and, and how it might be part of this larger healing? There are, I believe that we can use cells for prevention of disease, for treatment of disease, and for cure of disease. And I would want to do all three. Wouldn't it be fabulous if we never had to get to the point that we have a heart attack or heart failure? Because we can actually begin to intervene in that process and promote endogenous healing of our bodies, number one. There are a lot of people who are already sick. For those people, understanding how we can take cells that already exist and use those to treat the underlying illness, mm-hmm. I think, is critical. And and that's very, very doable in my lifetime. And then in terms of building new tissues and organs, you know, we're going to get there, but along the way... Wouldn't it be fabulous if we didn't need to build a whole heart, but say a kid was born with a congenital heart defect, and there are kids who are born with something called hypoplastic heart, where they only have one ventricle, really, one pumping chamber of their heart, and we all know you need two. Right. What if we could build a piece of a heart that we could transplant in those kids? Or what if we could learn how to how to how stem cells work early enough that when a kid's born with cystic fibrosis we know we can fix their lungs or build lungs for them that they're going to need down the road that's all doable hmm. it's it's not i mean yeah today it might be science fiction right but it's also going to be science and i'm committed to moving it forward I think we we already know that we can – it's not unrealistic to think about building an organ that matches your body. Right now, if you get an organ transplant, you're essentially trading one disease for another mm. because mm. all the drugs you have to take to keep you from rejecting that organ damage your kidneys, can damage your liver, give you high blood pressure, can give you diabetes, all of those things. And – Ultimately, you probably need another organ transplant down the road. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just begin to impact all of this? You know, the bottom line is aging really is a failure of stem cells, (laughs) and we can impact that. We We can slow it down. We can maybe even move it backwards, and I think we can intervene and change the lives of the next generation of people. 
you know, I, I joke and I say we won't even take vitamins to keep from aging or developing heart disease, so we're probably not going to go out and take stem cells every day. <laughs> On the other hand, as we learn about what does make a positive difference, I think more and more we're realizing that who we are and how we are impacts that. And I really think by having science that validates those statements, Mm -hmm. people are starting to get it. Let me, I don't know, I wonder if you've read um, William Salatin, who's written in Slate. Um, no. He, he's, he, he wrote an, a, a piece about after President Obama lifted the ban on federal funding of mm. stem cell research using uh, uh, human embryos. And, <clears throat> and he's not, um, I don't think he, he's against this per se, but he wrote, you won. He's talking to um, people who were for that federal funding. He said, now for the next challenge, don't lose your soul. And I just I want to read. So, again, you know, because because all these things you describe are incredible. As you say, they're science fiction now. Or Do you know the bioethicist Lori Zoloth? She talks about fiction science is what it feels like you're working in. And uh, he said something like, um, science does not uh, equate an em- – okay. He said, embryos are the beginnings of people. They are not parts of people. They're the whole thing in very early form. Um, harvesting them, whether for research or medicine, is different from harvesting other kinds of cells. And then here's the question, and I just want to ask you if this is, is, this is, if this is even a, a way you would think the question can be phrased. How far should we strip mine humanity in order to save it? What's your reaction to that question? And My reaction to that question is... The ways that I've seen humanity (laughs) strip-mined have nothing to do with cells. Um, in In my spiritual world, it would be inhumane to turn my back on a parent who calls me and says, my child was born with... X, Y, and Z, can you help me? I stay awake nights thinking about the kids who've called me and said, my grandmother has no chance. She's got a few weeks left. Can't you help her? Aren't your hearts ready? And I'm a spiritual person. The universe has given me tools. I'm going to use those tools. At the same time, it would be morally wrong for me not to respect the beliefs of someone else who makes a different choice. And that's really, you know, we're a diverse group of people. And if you believe in God, then you believe God, Allah, whoever made us that way. And... I can't judge what somebody else asks. I can only say that in my heart, it would be a worse travesty to turn my back on the knowledge and awareness I've been given. 
strip mining humanity, I would say go spend a week in an intensive care, pediatric intensive care unit, or go spend a week with kids who were struggling to learn how to sit up at age 14, or go spend an hour with somebody who just wants to see their daughter or son grow up, and then talk to me about what you think the right approaches are. It's not a difficult question for me. The difficult question for me is really more about making room for hate or disbelief or I'm in this world to make a positive difference and if somebody doesn't approve of my choices of how I'm going to make a positive difference. You know, it's it's just so ironic to me because I grew up with a brother who has cerebral palsy, okay? Right, right, right. So every year we used to go collect money for the cerebral palsy or no, for yeah, for the cerebral palsy telethon that they had on TV and they gave away a bike. So we had completely nothing altruistic about our interests. We <laughs> okay. wanted to win the bike right. every year, you know. So we'd go collect money. And there was this one lady who would give us like $50 every year. And so we'd go knock on her door. And and then there'd be people who'd just slam their door in our face. And my mom would, said to us, you know, Doris, people usually don't care about things until it touches their lives. And once it touches their lives, their perception changes. And I can't tell you the number of people who don't believe in research or don't believe in science or don't believe in innovative, innovative approaches to medicine until it's their daughter or son, or brother. And then all of a sudden, they're at least open to the conversation. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but sitting across from you, I mean, so now the tables have turned. Um, this kind of research, there, there is a new uh, legal openness, to, at least to get federal funding for certain kinds of research. I can also imagine that you would not say, no holds barred, Oh, absolutely right, right? not. Let's start aborting fetuses I would to be get in their the trenches. Cells, right? I would be in the trenches with anyone who says that reproductive cloning is appropriate. I would say that is absolutely wrong. I will be in the trenches fighting against that with everyone else. I will be in the trenches saying, heavens no, we don't want to abort fetuses to gather stem cells. Absolutely not. What I can say is it's not right for me to decide what the line is for somebody else, but I know what my line is. And my line is um, I will be right there with you fighting for the right to take fertilized eggs that would otherwise be discarded and use them 
to understand how we can cure, tr- prevent, treat, and cure disease. Beyond that, I, I'm right there. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not. I, we're we're doing this for all the right reasons, and those are the conditions under which I can imagine doing this right now. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, I'm willing to have a conversation with anyone and show them heart cells beating in a dish and show them how it's really impacted my awareness of what we do. Yeah, you know, they're all alive. Every cell I deal with is alive. <laughs> right. And so I can't make that distinction because they're all alive. Let me ask you this, going back to this other aspect of the work you do, which again gets left out of our moral debates, which is just how you know about stem cells as a replenishing part of all of our bodies. Um, how do you live differently? What do you do differently, eat differently because of what you've learned in the laboratory? Sure. About your telomeres. (laughs) That's right. Um, I can tell you that I still, you know, ask, ask the kids and my partner, I still get stressed. Ask my sister, I still get stressed. But what I do, what I, what I know now is that there's an impact of that. And I try to stop and go, wait a minute, um, can I feel those stem cells in my blood vessels doing something different if I'm stressed? Um, it, it's, it's impacted my uh, – it, it's impacted what I, what I eat. You know, there, there are two ways to look at it. You can say, okay, great, we've got stem cells. I can do whatever <laughs> I want. <laughs> or – you can say, wow, I really do want to be healthy for the long term, and that means I need to decrease my stress level. I need to think more about what I'm doing to make sure the cells I have function well, which means making sure I have the right vitamins, making sure I have the right minerals, making sure I have the right, um, you know, just basically taking better care of myself. Right. And and when I was 20, it wouldn't have mattered. You could have told me all of this, and I wouldn't have cared. Because when you're 20, you think you're going to live forever anyway. Well, and your stem cells were in overdrive then, too, I exactly. guess. Uh-huh. Exactly. Exactly. I, well, I would argue all of them except those probably neural stem cells. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're not so – they're not doing so well when you're 20. Yeah. Um. But it has – it really has given me especially a deeper appreciation of the stress levels in our lives and the things that come at us every day and how we need to ramp those down. So I mentioned Lori Zoloth, this bioethicist. She's she's Jewish and it, she, she has actually – we were talking about reproductive cloning a few years ago. And um, she ter- she used this term – um, I'll just read you what you, she said. She said, we're faced with what's been called fiction science, and I certainly think of that. that. I thought of this as I was imagining these stem cells beating in dishes in your laboratory, your heart, heart cells. Um, science that's just beyond the borders of our imagination. She says, and it's at that border that I think the use of midrashic accounts and stories might be best employed because it's such a fantastic idea. I think we need rather fantastic and metaphorical illusions to think about them. 
She said, if I'm trying to think about the creation of our own moral universe, uh, and if all we really have are words and language, then the use of story, narrative becomes quite important again because the laws might fail us. The laws are in some way a rather impartial account of the complicated technology and the complicated possibilities we're faced with. And I kind of read that to spark you. I mean, I just wonder, are there maybe ways that would surprise uh, us that are unpredictable or stories or traditions or practices that you turn to outside the laboratory or inside the laboratory that help you think about this, the meaning of this? Think about it. There are so many different ways to heal ourselves, heal each other. We, th- we talk about medicine. I, I always go back to a very simple account that uh, we used to chew willow bark hundreds of years ago mm. for pain, right? Mm. And we had no idea that it was really, that it contained the same thing that's in aspirin today. But our grandmothers knew and our grandmothers' mothers knew, and it's the same sort of thing. There are so many ways that we know we can heal ourselves, and there's a body of knowledge out there about that. And we're really just discovering details. Hmm. How does that work? Mm-hmm. Not does that work, but how does that work? And I would also I would also say that you have to dream it and think it and speak it before you can do it. What are you thinking of there? Tell me, what, for you, what does that mean? For me... Well, let me give you an example. I was talking with someone recently, and they said, wouldn't it be cool if we could treat cystic fibrosis? And in a three-minute period, we came up with this idea that would be a new treatment for cystic fibrosis. And I'm convinced it's going to work. <laughs> And so now, haven't done it, haven't tried it, but it makes sense. And you reach a point where something just makes sense. It's that resonance again. I use that word a lot, but it resonates with me. And there's a certain feeling I get when I know we're on the right track. And and it's that same yes moment. It's like, oh, my God, it's really pretty simple. Mm. So for me... But but you have to have that, you know, you have to have that question. You have to have the, well, we need to do it. And then you have to, I, my spiritual beliefs are that thought forms our energy and that spoken word is, really concretizes that and makes it real and puts it out there for the universe to help you. Hmm. Um you know, I believe I, I'm not – I certainly don't pretend to know many spiritual traditions or, or uh, religious beliefs. But, but one phrase that I hear a lot and certainly know to be true in mine is free will, uh-huh. the concept that we all can make our own decisions and make choices. And, and that actually that's why we have to ask for help 
when we want help from wherever it is we choose to ask help from personally, spiritually? Well, most mornings I say, okay, universe, okay, mother, father, God, okay, you know, help. And I think that's true in science, too. It's really about it's really about just being a funnel, if you will, for those ideas and thoughts and beliefs. And somehow they go in somewhere and come out these hands, you know, or come out this mouth, yeah, and but, then people get to make it happen. But you're talking, you, you're, but it's a, it's, a, it's a great combination you're talking about of make of. Ex- being a funnel, but then applying the best of your knowledge, speaking your dreams and questions, and also relying on common sense and your intuition. Sure, but is it is it any isn't it all the same thing? <laughs> I mean, really, isn't it all? And and I don't mean to say that my spiritual beliefs are are common sense, but I would argue that. Um, all of that together makes me the spirit, the being that I am. And there's no way to separate out any one piece of it. So it's really, you know, I'm lucky enough that to be surrounded by people who are good at what they do and I've I've been able to attract into my life people who have great hands and who can who can operationalize some of the things that we dream about and talk about but I also know that the limitations are only there if we put them there hmm. we if it, 10 20 years ago, if we had said we were going to map the human genome, 20 years ago when we did say we were going to map the human genome, it was viewed as almost impossible. Mm -hmm. It was going to take forever, and we would be able to do it for one genome, and that would be it. Right. Well, it's no longer impossible. Fifty years ago, computers filled up this room. Right. It's all the same story. It's just we're talking about our bodies, and we find that much more mysterious. And we find it much more mysterious because they are alive. And they are, and we don't know how to capture that essence. The reality is... We'll probably never know how to capture that essence. We know it's a combination of things we don't even know how to measure yet. (laughs) And, And yet, we're getting to the point that we at least have readouts for it. And cells are one readout. You know, there are a lot of studies that have been done on music, imagery, touch, prayer, as intercessions for um, illness right. or disease. If you believe those work, how do they have to work? They have to work at the level of the cell. Hmm. And that's where you work. <laughs> and they probably 
work in part by increasing the number of stem cells. Right. It's really not that complicated, I don't think. Now, we can make it complicated, (laughs) but I really, sincerely, I think all of these things have to work at the level of the cell. Molecules work at the level of the cell. When we talk about, we used to talk about gene therapy. Right. And how does gene therapy work? It works at the level of the cell. You get the genes into a cell. So really, it's about measuring what happens in these cells that are capable of repairing our body. Mm. And those are stem cells. I'm lucky to be, you know... Uh, there are probably a lot of people who, a lot of my science colleagues who would say that's great at the 50,000-foot view or the 100,000-foot view, but let's talk about the, you know, what's really happening inside those cells. Mm-hmm. And I'm really grateful that somebody else is asking those questions <laughs> because those are how function of those cells decrease or how they go wrong when a tumor happens. We've got to ask all those questions. But really, my vision of the future is if it exists, it exists at the level of the cell. We can measure it. We can use it. We can use cells to very early in the process to prevent and reverse disease after a disease has happened, to begin to treat disease. And when all else fails, I really do think we can build tissues and organs and begin to cure disease. And aging and chronic disease are really, in my mind, the same thing. Mm. Well... I think that's your last word because we have to finish. This is fabulous. Oh, I hope so. It's Thank really you. fabulous. <laughs> yeah? Okay. Thank you. I never feel I'm quite as eloquent as I want to oh, be. Oh, you're but really eloquent. Thank you. But it's your passion that comes through.